Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G-A-L-D-E-M. <laughs> this song is good. Welcome to Growing Up with Gaudem, the show where we explore the stories, struggles, and triumphs of growing up as people of color. I'm Natty Kasambala. And I'm Nyala Arboin. Each week, our guests respond to old diary entries, letters, notes, or texts from their younger selves. Helping us understand how their coming of age made them who they are today. I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> not, not this recording, the Invisalign. <laughs> oh my God, you've got Invisalign, you've joined the gang. I have. Not great for podcast season. Just have to like slurp the top one out. <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah, it doesn't help me feel great when I'm literally really close to a mic. You know what? It'll be worth it in the end. How are you doing though? I'm good, you know. I feel like I'm just trying to like transition into like autumn and like mm. prepare myself for the clocks going back and all of that madness that comes with like having no daylight. So are, are they doing that? <laughs> I, I've been hearing rumours that they weren't going to do it this year, that it might be cancelled. I love that we can just, you know, change time. <laughs> it is made up, so. It's all a that. concept anyway. <laughs> How have you been? Yeah, I've been okay. On the on the autumn thing, though, I've been really trying to get these knitwear fits off and it's hard Ooh. with this weather because it's just like mm. we're still in the mid-teens. So Yeah, I need I to get my room- polo necks out. Yeah, like I, I put the I put the knitwear on and then I put the jacket on and then I get outside and I'm like, that was a mistake. I'm, I'm already sweating. <laughs> uh, and then it's just walking around with the jacket all day. So that's my biggest struggle at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the weather is so British. Truly it is. But yeah, now it's time to speak to our first guest. 
So our guest today is one of the founding members of the up-and-coming alt-pop arts collective 9-8 that also includes Big Pig and Mac Weather. Mm. So they ran hydration studios that featured all women MCs, producers and sound engineers. Okay, okay. They are a self-proclaimed nerd whose favourite comic is Tank Girl, illustrated by Gorilla's own Jamie Hewlett. Love a bit of Tank Girl. <laughs> and finally, they identify as non-binary and are half Latvian and half Jamaican. It is the creative powerhouse, Lava LaRue. It is great to have you on the show today, Lava. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I actually, I woke up in a good mood today. (laughs) Good to hear. I guess to get things kicked off, can you tell us who you are and how you would define what you do? I would describe myself as a visual artist and a musician. Yeah, it's a hard question, overall creative, if that makes sense. I think your answer to the last question is really interesting because the next question I had for you is that your visual identity is super distinct and it kind of feels super vibrant, super textured and just like equal parts futuristic and vintage at the same time. So I wanted to hear a bit more about your process or your journey into discovering how you wanted to sort of bring your songs to life in this other medium. Yeah, so I I guess I grew up kind of playing in bands when I was really when I was quite young, like when I was like 13, I was always really into sort of like alternative stuff. The first CD I ever bought for myself was the Gorillaz CD. And that was because it had a really strong artwork. It was like a cartoon graphic, like the characters were cartoon characters. And that's what I was drawn to. I'm talking like HMV days. I'm not even like 10 at this point. And so I always love this kind of like middle ground where I kind of like hum a little tune and I'll be drawing a comic book strip I always liked sort of like drawing and illustrating and then as I kind of went into secondary school I was kind of deferred away from that path I was kind of like made to feel a bit weird to be in this like Caribbean kid but I was really into bands and comic books and that was seen as something kind of like a bit weird and nerdy at this point you know alternative TikTok and all the things that like my younger brothers can like they can kind of be allowed to be in that intersection but for me I was like oh this isn't cool and it took me a while to like go back into it but once I did go back into it I always loved the idea of you know soundtracking like a visual and just creating a really strong like visual identity alongside this and I and I realize outside of like the alternative world also a lot of artists who have always done that and bridged over that intersection between like a strong visual world and a strong sonic world and having a narrative there like I, I got really influenced by like Outcast. then when I actually started the project as Love LaRue when I entered my later teens and yeah like in a nutshell I always think it's so important to do world building and that's one thing from being like a comic book nerd that you realize it's like world building where there's these characters and reoccurring themes that come back and like you know that those associations so yeah that's something that just my I wanted to create something for my younger self really love that I feel like quite often with creatives you're always trying to get back to that younger version of yourself who loved those like nerdy things and then you kind of like put them away as you're a teenager and now we're just like spending our adulthood trying to reach that place again and nurture that version of ourselves. So I guess as a multi-hyphenate creative, what are your kind of guiding principles, I guess, your do's and don'ts and 
whilst trying to work through, I guess, multiple mediums at the same time? There isn't necessarily do's and don'ts, but I think to stop myself from burnout or like getting a creative block when I can feel myself starting to get tired, maybe in one place or starting to run out of ideas, I switch to a next medium. And I've always said this, you know, if I'm like writing a song and I kind of get a block, I'll then move on to like the cover art. And then if I, you know, get a bit of a block with the cover art, maybe I'll move on to like maybe a merch idea or um, a bit of the like on stage production for a live show. And by the time I've finished sort of like doing some of the process for that, I'll come back to the music and I'll have inspiration for the lyrics again. So it's just creating this cycle of little creative avenues that all help build up to the same world, but allow me to sort of like, all right, let me have a breather on my eyes and move to something that's for my ears. Let me have a breather on something for the ears and move onto something that is for the live event. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, it's that it's that circle that helps me sort of like maintain that balance. Yeah, that's a hard relate as well. Like it's mad how much taking space away from something and just putting that energy into something else can just refresh you completely when you come back to it. We touched on one of your early music memories of the Gorillaz CD, which is a hard relate again. I'm sure Nye as well. I I'm like a I super fan. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it out. <laughs> Literally, that is like a, like, old black kid, like, starter pack. We love that. But do you have any other early memories from of music and art when you were kind of growing up? Was your household creative? Like, what was your relationship like with music? Yeah, so I was like predominantly for the first kind of like seven years of my life raised by my grandma. And she's like first generation Jamaican migrants. So, and there was a lot of like that lover's rock kind of era I don't know if you guys ever saw McQueen's um, small acts there was like a yeah. Rock episode that was literally shot Unreal. in the area that I grew up in when my grandma watched it it was like just reliving because she really went to those kind of like house functions like my granddad was really friends with yeah those like sound boy like sound ep- operators who made those sound systems and actually knew Janet Kay who wrote the song Silly Games that they sing in that very long scene where they're all singing that and like my grandma was like yeah you know your granddad's bridge room with Janet Kay and I was like really after I watched the episode because like all of my friends were singing that song because of that episode as well so that's like very much that element of things are very much in my lineage and it, it comes out in my music sometimes as well like it's definitely like that would that would be the first sort of like grounding soul food that I was fed as a kid was like yeah lovers rock and roots reggae I saw your TikTok schooling the kids on rude boy culture and scar mm-hmm. it was really good you put it um, all together very succinctly I was like yes I'm making points <laughs> <laughs> thanks so could you talk to us a bit about your collective, 9-8? What was the kind of goals of the collective? Yeah, what were you aiming to achieve? So 9-8, like the, the founding members, which is Big Pig and Mac Weather and myself, we all started Sixth Form together. We started, so we met when we were 16. And they were massively the reason, you know, I talked about this era being in secondary school and kind of being like embarrassed about these like nerdy things that I liked as a kid they were the beginning of helping me unlearn that. And also just like accepting kind of like my queerness. There was a lot of things in the school that I went to, but it was quite a harsh environment and you had to assimilate. And then they were just sort of like, cool, you're queer, that's sick. Oh, cool, you're into like this nerdy stuff. You're into this style of production or you're into like alternative music, sick. We're into that too. Like it was very, they were very just instantly accepting. And I felt like I had found like my kind of creative family. We we were still young and we didn't know exactly 
how we were going to do it, but we all knew that we wanted to be creatives. We all knew that in some way or another, we were songwriters and beat makers and like just visual artists. And so we just started swapping resources. We all put in, I think, 20 quid each and bought like a tiny little terrible microphone and created a bedroom studio setup. It was just kind of like something that we could all share. And we just swapped and shared resources and samples and being like, yo, I just found this sample. We got to use this. Come over to mine tonight. And yeah, oh, we it ended up with us just creating a little scene around us of putting out stuff and it's really beautiful looking back at it now because everyone is now a very established musician in their own rights. Like both Mac Weather and Big Pig have gone on to like be signed to incredible music labels and are like putting out great music and are touring musicians. But at that point, there was no kind of expectation for what we were doing. We were just so gassed to even put a song on SoundCloud. Like to even just make a song and put on SoundCloud that night, that was gas. Just because just we wanted to show it to our friends in tutorial the next day and be like, yo, look at this beat we made. So yeah, and it, it's called 98 because the year me and Big Pig are born is 1998. And yeah, like it's like it's been eight years of friendship now and we're still we're still here and we still put on like events and music and kind of doing the same thing just on like a, a larger scale. It's quite a beautiful thing. Yeah, I also find it so interesting how it's like there's like a democracy and like communal ethos to it, which obviously can feel hard to kind of nurture in obviously like a really capitalist kind of society but also industry of music as well but it seems like it's almost like a lesson in like the sharing of resources can lead to like group success as well seeing where you guys have all gone off to I'm interested to hear yeah a little bit more about what you touched on in terms of how that relationship or like how you guys have strived to maintain that kind of ethos as you've grown bigger and bigger and like if there are any ways that you see it moving forward into the future? Yeah, I think that one thing that has always allowed the collective to function is that it prioritizes first and foremost being a, a friendship group and like a support network for everybody's individual lives. So before we are a collective, we're generally a group of friends who have known each other for a long time. And I think going into any creative world, it can be quite isolating and scary going on in as a lone wolf. And when you've already, you know, built a bit of a name for yourself and you're going into, you know, you go to LA or New York or whatever, it's kind of like, right, who here's really my friends? Who here wants to finesse maybe who I work for? Or who here like are you a vibe check I can't really tell having people who have known you since day and before all of it like it's so important for me to have those kind of people because they can kind of vibe check you know wagwan really and then also when I go to a certain place I already know that you know oh yeah Mac has a friend out there whatever like you just create like a network of family and that is quite important to have but having that longevity is like the priority first is as an actual support network and then being able to put stuff out and create comes second. And that's what makes it so nice. There's no pressure on it. And it also helps that we do all have our solo projects and that is like our primary project. So it means that everything that we do within the collective is a passion project. It's because we generally love it. Like we're not being forced to do anything. Do you know what I mean? That we don't want to do. Whereas like with Lava, that definitely and everybody's individual projects, sometimes their time where I'm like, I need to pay rent next month. So I'm gonna just say yes to this thing. When you do that individually, that's fine. But when you have to do that in a group, that can be problematic because not everybody aligns with that. And I think I've seen that with other collectives. Do you think the, I guess the music industry as a whole could kind of learn a bit from collectivism? Yeah, but the thing is collectivism isn't something that hasn't been prominent in the music industry 
Like it, it's something that has been a massive thing since the beginning of music. Like any kind of subculture, any scenes, you know what I mean? From the experimental jazz scene to like, you know, hip hop and a tribe called Quest to there's so there's so many great examples of collectivism and like, you know, the roots and slum village and like, you know, Jay Dilla, like there's so many actual networks are people who do work in a collective way and there's like some modern day examples of that like earth gang is part of this thing called spillage village and yeah there's like you know loads of people who like they in order to sort of like survive they function as a group and you know are able to document what's going on in that area and that point and I think some of the best music has always come out from that I just think that there's a lot of emphasis sometimes in terms of being musicians of like you know this solo one track like what's your goal what do you want to do how are you going to get this and not realizing oh I always say this this is such a like yeah this is a phrase I always say but it's like alone you can go quicker but together you go further that's kind of like what it's like do you know what I mean yeah yeah Mm -hmm. interesting we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back after this for the extract Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. I think it's time for us to get into your extract now. It'd be great if you could give us a little bit of background as to what it is that you're going to read for us and why you chose it. And then we'll get into questions afterwards. Yeah, so for context, going back to when I first started college and was first like forming 9-8, the thing that really got me back into music, because I kind of like was first doing 
music when I was like 13, 14 playing in bands and then like kind of like secondary school kind of put me off it and I was a bit embarrassed. And then there was a time where I was able to get back into music when I turned 16, but it was through poetry. And I felt like poetry felt like a safe zone because it went hand in hand with a lot of the creative stuff I was doing and the art that I was doing. And I was maybe a bit shy to get back into singing again. It took me years, like literally only the past two or three years to kind of get back into singing again. Poetry was like a middle ground where I felt comfortable with it because I could still kind of like say what I was thinking. And so it was when I actually first um, showed one of my poems to Mac Weather that he was like, this is really good. You should put this on top of one of my beats. And that was the first ever song I released as Lava LaRue. So this is around that era that I wrote that. I, I didn't end up putting it out till I think like 2017 or 2018 officially, but it was written around college time. And this is a poem that kind of reflects that coming of age era where I'm forming my political opinions. And at the first time, I'm also like learning and studying like the actual knowledge behind these things. Like that kind of age of like 16, 17, where like you start realizing a lot of things in society. I remember I, I read the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And I was like, <gasps> because it's a lot of things like, unless you have parents who are maybe like academics you know, that it was kind of, and this was also, I think, because the generation that I'm in, I'm on like the cusp of sort of like millennial and Gen Z, you know, I didn't have things like TikTok or maybe like Tumblr kind of like properly feeding these politics yet. Cause the whole like hashtag, like I hate this term, but the hashtag woke thing, that wasn't, that wasn't cool at that point when I, when I just started sixth form, like it happened maybe like two years later. So this whole poem is basically almost the day that I like kind of formed a lot of my feelings about like my identity and politics around it and yeah it's a bit of a yeah it's it's quite mad and then I ended up putting it as a, as a poem on the first track of the first ever project I released with an Angela Davis sample playing in the background and it was the yeah the first track of the first EP that I dropped on like DSPs Spotify and Apple Music and it's called um, desktop of the EP called Lecture. Also I also had the exact same moment with the new Jim Crow in sick form and I was like mm. I need to do my independent projects on this book like they've been keeping us asleep. It's such a like pivotal kind yeah. of a hundred percent. Do you know what it is? I think that like on in GCSEs, or at least when I was doing GCSEs, which was like 2014, 2015, there wasn't like when you, you're doing history or like sociology or whatever, like unless you went really deep into it, it didn't go into a lot of these same politics. So like you had to kind of go into sixth form wanting to specifically study that but I even though I really cared about those things I I knew that I wanted to do creative subjects so I just started doing loads of independent learning and kind of learning what my friends in sixth form who were studying sort of like race politics whatever I was just like what books can you recommend for me whatever and I literally that like age was my coming of age moment because there's a lot of stuff that you get from doing that independent learning that you don't necessarily get from home and that was the the hardest thing is that even though I was raised by like a first generation Caribbean it, ideas about like intersectionality, whatever that just wasn't a thing. My grandma was just out here trying to survive. Do you know what I mean? And like her politics came from just in real life experiences, but didn't necessarily have the language to explain like what it was or maybe what was going on in America that may feel may have like little elements of that may have come from, you know, British imperialism and things like that. So being able to like have that language 
to kind of put against a lot of the experience that I saw like my family go through was such a turning point for me. And yeah, this poem was kind of me expressing like a bit of that basically. Give it a read for us then. All right, you ready? I'm going to try and read it in 45 seconds. It's it's the first minute of my first ever EP, this poem, but I'm going to try and do it in 45 seconds. Right, you ready? Ashes or a casket. Ponder on your choices while you stationed in the traffic. Turn your bones into jello, sipping Coca-Cola acid because you got to keep them passive when you brainwash the masses. Taught you to have more compassion for plastic dolls in a mansion. Because likability is really based on attraction and my skin seems to be in this season. Imagine. They wear their fault fur with their fault melanin. You watch the kids get shot, but you don't let it in. You let the fox win while you're watching letter men salute in veterans like it makes you better men, but representation is key. With a little bit of research, I can guarantee you will understand that stolen lands under the Jubilee is the tire blatant lies that makes your land so free. Yes, come through performance. I love that. Jokes. Yeah, so there's so much to unpack here, but I think firstly, I'd like to start thinking about your life at the time of writing this. What was the climate like for you back in 2016? I think I just felt like I was a generation of kids who started to recognise or relook at a lot of the things that we were given or told growing up and actually like consciously questioning it. And like, obviously, every generation, there's people who do that. But we also had the early formations of social media to also cross reference with like other communities and be in touch with other people. So it was really early formations for me to be able to like, I'm I'm getting some of these politics. But for example, this is a good example. Like I have an auntie and she's like very pro-black, but she's part of a pro-black movement called the Nation of Islam that takes a lot of the preachings of Malcolm X. And whilst like she's very pro-black and we have a lot of um, politics in the same place, a lot of the other politics that they believe in is they believe in, you know, gender roles of how like a black woman must be and a black man must be in, uh, in a household. And some of those politics also kind of believe that black queerness has been enforced by white people in order to effeminate black men. So the idea of someone like Lil Nas X, that's kind of like, you know, Babylon basically trying to effeminate black men. And so there was a lot of places where even though I had in some family, okay, we we agree on some politics here, I wasn't able to cross-reference this of how, you know, being pro-black, but also how that intersects with like queerness and gender politics. Because, you know, not everyone, especially in the Caribbean, have that level of intersectionality. So I was at this age where I was able to get in touch with like other queer mixed Jamaican kids and how that feels for them and then suddenly I was able to also talk about their experience being raised with a black family and identifying that but also being mixed race and also being queer and like all these kind of things the internet allowed me to have access to because even on the wide scheme of things when you're on the internet it doesn't feel like a niche because there's a lot of us in your area if you don't have that you will feel like the only one so you know what I mean yeah there's like a line specifically where I'm like and my skin seems to be in this season, imagine. And it was me unlearning the fact that like growing up, a lot of the compliments that I got 
like, oh, I really love how green your eyes are. I love your, it was all the things that the compliments I was getting were the th- my Eurocentric values. So because of that, a lot of the things that I grew up not necessarily liking about myself, whether it was like how my hair texture would go at some points or, you know, things that, it was things that came from my black side. And a lot of the things that I always had positively reinforced came from my white father. And so there was like, there was so many things and it was like, it almost felt like, wow, my skin's in season. And like that was that was why that was in there. And then alongside that, there was a lot of I don't know what the term is again. I think it's called is it called black fishing? It's where people like properly tan and like make themselves mm, kind of look mixed yeah. race when they're not. Yeah. There was like a lot of that happening in popular culture in 2016 as well. So yeah, that's what that specific line was. But it's all it's just me going through this process of realizations essentially at the like as a teenager. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In the words of Kylie Jenner, you were realizing things. <laughs> <laughs> an appropriate example <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> while she was not realizing things you were actually realizing things <laughs> yeah I was actually really interested in that line that you just mentioned where you start to kind of unpack that desirability and that idea of your skin being in would you say your relationship has changed or shifted since then when it comes to I guess race and colorism and desirability yeah it's it's definitely been a mad journey because it has been a balance of kind of recognizing my experiences as someone who has been raised by a black family in a black community, recognizing the experiences that are unique to my mixed heritage. So like going through similar things, but what things are different because of my mixed heritage and you know, recognizing what of those, like what, what had been always interesting for me is like growing up, you know, I was told, cause my, like, I have different shades in my family. My mom's dark skin. My grandma is, she's like closer to my skin. She always referred to herself as like red bone, but she's still like visibly like a black woman. And I'm probably the most Eurocentric looking one in my family. And growing up, like, I was just told you're black, you know, Bob Marley was mixed race and had like a white dad, but you know, we call him black, like Barack Obama is the first black president, but we call him black. And I was like, yeah, cool. Like, yeah. Like, and these people campaign for that and they're seen as black icons. So like, so then that's definitely me. But then in the past years, I recognize, but why are there so many people, even like, you know, someone who I look up to, like Angela Davis, there are so many lighter skinned people who got to be the face of black politics. And that's definitely something that I had to look into because whilst that validated my blackness because these people were accepted within the black community and also raised within the black community the same same way that I was, it made me recognize there is a reason why a lot of these people's, you know, politics or the way they carried themselves or even the way that they may have been like desired or looked up to like Bob Marley, would it have been a different experience for Bob Marley if he was dark skinned? Do you know what I mean? So that was definitely something that I started like looking into and then recognizing that there are different experiences like growing up my mum also did modeling for a bit and recognizing her experience because of like the time and also her being dark skin had been so different to my experience and like even though there are things in my experience that I felt was difficult when I first started out when I was like I was actually I was doing modeling when I was around that age as well 16 when I wrote that was there I I felt like there was a lot of exoticization and fetishization with the concept of being light skin and that in itself is a double-edged sword because in a place that seems like a privilege but how is it a privilege when you're being exoticized do you know what I mean so it's like okay but at the same time I'm getting a job through this so it was a very double-edged sword 
However, I recognize that this double-edged sword doesn't amount or equate to the same experience of like what like my dark skin mother went through in the same industry. It's a different experience for a different reason and definitely a form of like oppression being exoticized. And my mom also got exoticized as a dark skin woman, but in a different way. But you know, it's not, what this is, is it's not oppression Olympics. What it is, is recognizing and making space for those who need that space and that place and platforming, you know, people who are not being platformed. And if I am able to be platforms, maybe because of my appearance, or maybe I'm more accepted of elements in the music industry, or I'm getting, you know, a job for a Black History Month thing for a music thing. And I'm like, okay, but why am I, why am I supposed to represent this when I'm like, I'm, and I'm light skin, there's no other dark skin people on this panel. I shouldn't be the only voice for this. Do you know what I mean? So like, there's certain things where it's just recognizing that balance as to where to make space and not. And that's been something I think I've, I've, I've learned um, going more into just sort of like the, the music industry and the creative industry and how that works. Do you know what I mean? I also think like around that age is when you start becoming kind of self-aware and you kind of start deeping who you are beyond like, these are my hobbies and I like these things. And you're like, oh, this is where I stand in society and this is the world around me. And you start like, it's yeah, I think it's a very wild time, that age where you kind of start deeping your personal politics, the world around you. But something you also talk about in this poem is this kind of idea of different kinds of patriotisms. You know, you're talking about veterans and the Queen's Jubilee, and you've spoken about your relationship to Britishness on the internet before and kind of, you know, embracing certain aspects of it. So, yeah, I'd like to hear more about um, that journey and in terms of holding space of both like critiquing and embracing being British. Yeah, so specifically the the bits that I wrote about veterans in that poem was a specific reference to the fact that my granddad, my um, my grandma's ex-husband, who like came here also from Kingston, fought for the British Army, and how a lot of the like, you know, when you look at World War One and World War Two, a lot of how the British Empire won that war was by getting a lot of their previously colonized or currently colonized countries to fight on those front lines. And so not only were, you know, Caribbeans asked to come here after the war to help rebuild that, but a lot of Caribbeans and Indians were made to fight on those front lines. And I had such a disconnect growing up when it was like Remembrance Day, like in November, I had such a disconnect when we were, you know, shown videos about like veterans and veterans would come in because it was a very like white British version of that. And because of that, I felt like for a lot of kids who came from migrant families, they felt a disconnect to their country because, you know, it was English kids being like, my granddad fought to make this country so great so you guys could live here on this free land. And so I felt like a frustration when I learned a bit about how much colonized countries like helped they also like a lot of colonized countries like helped absolutely like funds and was the arm work for a lot of the industrial revolution. So a lot of the things that creates the modern UK that we know today, the modern Great Britain came from the lineage of a lot of the migrants that are here and have been here in their communities. So I wanted to sort of make a little reference to the fact that it's like, do you know what? A lot of us should be very proud too. Do you know what I mean? A lot of us like kids who come from migrant families should be equally as proud of what like the, the actual blood, sweat and tears that has gone in on our side of things to help make the UK what it is today. And that is something that we should feel proud of and we should feel equal ownership to be here and be from here essentially. And so in one aspect, I can understand why a lot of people feel sort of angry and a disconnect because 
they've, you know, been made to come over here and work here and with a promise of a better life to help rebuild the UK and the economy and have come here, you know, whether that was in the 50s, 60s and 70s, only to feel othered and receive a lot of like racism. And so on one hand, it's people who are a lot sort of like, do you know what, like F the UK, F the colonial flag, F that. But for me, I'm like, I would love a way where we can take up space. Because at the same time, even though I'm proud to be Caribbean, I'm a born and raised like West London kids. And this is what I know. And I could go back to the Caribbean to try and like get in touch with my roots. But actually the Caribbean that I am is a British Caribbean. And I was raised by Caribbeans, but in the UK with the context of the UK. So I want to take ownership of this place as my country. And I want to be proud to be from this country, but to be from a migrant family in this country and take up space and like recognize, do you know what? My granddad fought for this country too. And you know, whether the politics around that was just or not just, there, there should still I, I do feel a level of patriotism of everything that has been brought for me to be here and to speak with the accent that I do, which is a British accent. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of like my politics around it, and I think that that politics can provide more unity. I think that if we teach kids in school on like not just like Veterans Day, but as a whole in the history, also the part that colonized countries did play in making this country, you know, what it is today, there would feel more of a placement of a lot of kids don't understand in. London, why there's so many, why is there a huge Indian community or East Asian community or South Asian community in like East parts of London? Why is there a huge Caribbean community in West London and, you know, Southwest London and Brixton? Do you know what I mean? Like there's not a connect of actually in terms of history, what has placed those people there. And if there was, and that, you know, there was taught that part of history, I do think that there'll be more migrant kids that I'd feel patriotic whilst recognizing the good and the bad. Do you know what I mean? Understanding why they're there and having ownership of like, actually we help bring this over the line essentially yeah I think it's a really interesting point I'm definitely of that I mean I was I was born in another country but I think a lot of us who are like very like on the border of first gen second gen like there's not not necessarily a luxury but there is that like kind of fallback plan of being like oh but I could just say I'm from somewhere else if you don't feel like connected to your Britishness and that's definitely what I was like, when I was growing up, I was like, oh, I'm not British. My family's not from here. I'm I'm an immigrant. Like these these white people, they're claiming all this stuff. They're, they're, I, ca- I can't relate to any of that. Therefore, mm. I must not be from here. And I think it's really interesting to see that kind of like next gen along who are like, actually, no, it's not that Britishness is bad and that we need to cut ourselves off from that. It's that we need a more nuanced and accurate mm. historical definition mm. of what it is to be British and to be connected to this country. Do you know what it is? Yeah. It's when I went to Jamaica and got humbled and got called English girl. So I was like, let me just... Yeah, that's the thing. You go home and they're like, they're like, you're not from here either. So like, what's the truth? <laughs> what's the truth? <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm a citizen of the world. <laughs> I don't know about you people, I'm a citizen of the world. <laughs> but yeah, that's so, so interesting. And I think another kind of really interesting part of this piece that you read for us is that or recited for us is and I don't want to answer the question that I'm about to ask but it feels like it could have been written today especially with our lovely Lizzie and her lovely funeral recently like it's so much of it feels like it rings true how much for you do you think still holds true in 2022? Oh my gosh like there's so much stuff that I kind of put out or wrote in those final years of like college and then like I'm seeing people kind of like 
say this stuff and I'm like, guys, I've been saying this. I've been saying this. But it takes people a minute, really. And also, but like also people been saying this, like also a lot of the stuff that I was revising was from, you know, a book that I had read, you know, that was written like 10 to 20 years ago. So it's just a process of realizations and also recognizing that like, you know, there's a whole new generation of kids. Like, I'm very lucky to have a brother who's like in his like early teens because I'm also recognizing, okay, there's a whole generation of kids who are also just sort of like growing up and finding out their politics right now. And so a lot of these ideas, they're going to be re-looked at as things in politics go through these cycles. And we're going through these same cycles, new conservative leader and, and a new rebrand of sort of like trickle down politics, like quote unquote, it's just a rebrand of the same stuff over and over over again so yeah it's 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 frustrating but it's still good to see that at least it's in conversation could you tell us about a time in your childhood when you experienced pure joy I think going to Notting Hill Carnival growing up everyone knows I'm like a Labrick Grove kid through and through it was exciting because I would actually see more of my family on carnival than during Christmas. Christmas was always like political, but carnival was like, not only would I know where all of my family would be, like everyone would have a little job. Like my auntie Esther would do face paints for everyone. Like my mum would be sending like jello shots or like, you know, I'd have family sort of like on different sides of the road. And then I'll just be going around to one stage. I'll bump into someone and they'll be like, I'm your cousin, you know? And I'm like, you're my cousin. It was really nice. I always felt like I could just bounce from group to group and just, I've been going literally since I was born. There's a picture of like my mum, I think just before she was pregnant with me and when she was still pregnant with me, she took me to carnival as well. And then when I was born, she took me as well. So like that definitely feels like home and pure joy for me. I love that. Christmas is political. Carnival is universal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you get anything from that's this like podcast, if you get anything, that's what you need to get from it. <laughs> carnival is the glue that holds families together. And what advice would you give to this younger self who is kind of going through this like metamorphosis and awakening? If you could, what would you tell them about? Yeah, what would you what what advice would you give them? I wouldn't give my younger self any advice because they wouldn't listen to me. That's what I liked about my younger self is that like I'm different now, but at that point, like I was rebellious and I was like like I want to do things my way, and I was like you know if. I can't get a gig being booked at this kind of like club night because they're only booking like, you know, cis male rappers. Like I'm going to create a club night myself and then book myself as the headline and book all of my friends there too. Like that was, I was just on a one way track path of like, I'm just going to do this my way and I'm going to do it with my friends and we're going to like, yeah, we're going to do it together and we're not going to listen to what anyone says. And it that's what kind of created the DIY ethos that, you know, made us able to do this as a full-time job. And so I wouldn't want anything to be different now. And everything, I could even give myself advice about love or relationships or, you know, how to sort of like mature in different places. But do you know what? All those mistakes that I made definitely brought me to have the knowledge I am now. And if I didn't make those, I wouldn't understand a lot of the things I do now. So honestly, my my younger self wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> love that. And lastly, what would your younger self think about where you are now? Do you know what? I actually have to check myself about this over and over again because I'm always sort of like making a plans for the next thing and I always have an idea for a next creative project. I need to take more time to step back and recognise my full-time job is to make songs and art and it pays my rent and that is a blessing. Do you know what I mean? 
whether I have a, a semi-detached yard or a mansion or just, you know, the humble apartment I have now, like that is a blessing. Do you know what I mean? And so, yeah, like, honestly, I do think that my younger self would be proud of myself. And sometimes I forget, like, some of the people that I hang out with or work with are people that I used to listen to when I was still in school as well. And I forget that because I've, like, bonded I've got friendships with them now and I just see them as humans on a human level but like I don't take enough time to be like do you know what my younger self would be gassed to just be in a room with this person let alone the fact that that's my brethren now so yeah honestly like it takes me like it's really easy it applies to any career to be honest like any career like your younger self might just be gassed to be like oh cool your job today is to wake up and do, do a podcast and talk to artists sick do you know what I mean and sometimes you forget like you know, just the little things, like it doesn't need to be a big win. Like that is actually like, you know, a blessing to do. It's better than the service job I used to work when I was 16. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Lava. It's been Thank a you. joy. Yes, it has. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Awesome. <sighs> the kids are going to be all right. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was a refreshing chat. Yeah, that was like, just like great like thinking I think often I feel like a lot of us have like these really amazing ideas in politics but Lava seems like someone who really goes away and kind of does the extensive work and research yeah, and knows a lot life. about history yeah so I think I think the kids are gonna be all right I say that Lava's only two years younger than me yeah <laughs> like the kids are gonna be all right <laughs> It's true though. I think sometimes you forget that moment where you kind of like have that awakening and you're like, rah, this is the society in the world I live in and having to kind of grapple with like your identity and your place in this country. Like it's a lot to feel all at once. I remember that feeling of like, oh my God, <laughs> I've been lied to. <laughs> I've been like, they were not telling me the facts. And, and also like being able to kind of bounce all the way back to everything they never told me the stuff like the world is really messed up to then recalibrating and finding the nuance and finding the balance between the like burn it all and and just like a stand girl um yeah yeah so I think yeah there's that's where I, I find it so interesting you know like being able to say like okay yeah like Britain and the empire and colonialism is like so messed up but we were also part of the culture we can still claim it yeah it's still mm. ours to claim um, not, you're not getting rid stuff. of us um, <laughs> yeah, you're we're here to stay <laughs> yeah I, I like Good that try I love that so I feel yeah, yeah feeling nice and empowered mm-hmm. this has been an II Studios production thank you so much for listening we really hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget you can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners early access to tickets for Gaudem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media at galdemzine or visit our website at gal-dem.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.